bringing you the latest in tax credit news, this is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need legislation. we got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these mixed signals and messages. If he doesn't have a bipartisan bill, nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, July 14th, 2015. In our general news section, I'll discuss the reports released last week by the Senate Finance Committee's tax reform working groups. I'll tell you what was said about the long-term housing tax credit, new markets tax credit, historic tax credit, and renewable energy tax credits, and what their mere inclusion in the report signifies. In our long-term housing tax credit segment, I'll talk about what the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, HUD, said last week about affirmatively furthering fair housing and how it affects program participants. In related news, I'll share information about an upcoming webinar that will discuss the Supreme Court's recent ruling on disparate impact and what the consequences can be for affordable housing. After that, I'll share what one HUD study found about the effectiveness of housing choice vouchers for homeless families. I'll also talk about how listeners can submit nominations for the annual Novogratik Journal of Tax Credits Developments of Distinction Awards. In our New Markets Tax Credit section, I'll share how listeners can learn more about how the CDFI Fund's Bond Guarantee Program can be used with the New Markets Tax Credit. Then, in our Historic Tax Credit section, I'll have an update from Wisconsin where the governor has signed a budget that no longer, that's right, no longer includes a proposed state historic tax credit cap. We'll close out with our Renewable Energy Tax Credit section We'll talk about a new Iowa law that expands its solar energy tax credit cap for the next two years. If you're ready, let's get started. In general news, the Senate Finance Committee last week released the reports compiled by its tax reform working groups. As regular listeners know, the Senate Finance Committee in January formed five working groups to examine options for reforming the U.S. tax code. The five working groups are... Community Development Infrastructure, Business Income Tax, Individual Income Tax, International Tax, and Savings and Investment. Of those, the Community Development and Infrastructure Group is the one that evaluated the low-income housing tax credit, new markets tax credit, historic tax credit, and also included renewable energy tax credits. That working group is co-chaired by Republican Senator Dean Heller from Nevada and Democrat Michael Bennett from Colorado. Up until last week, it was unclear whether the group reports would be made public and whether they would include any specific policy recommendations. Well, the Community Development Infrastructure Group's report did not contain any specific recommendations regarding the tax credits and, obviously, was public. Instead, it provided a general description of the tax credit programs and it estimated the tax expenditures of each for fiscal years 2014 to 2018. According to the report, tax expenditures for that time period would be as follows, $40.5 billion for the low-income housing tax credit, $5.2 billion for the new markets tax credit, $5.4 billion for the historic tax credit, and $15.7 billion for the renewable energy production tax credit, and $2.9 billion for the investment tax credit. 
As I said, the report did not make any specific recommendations on the tax credit programs. However, the working group did provide five guiding principles for considering energy-related tax provisions. Those guiding principles are, first, provide certainty to certain temporary tax provisions. Again, the group does not specify which temporary tax provisions should be given more certainty, but we imagine it could include the production and investment tax credits. Second, consolidate and simplify energy-related expenditures. Third, make tax expenditures more fair and efficient. Fourth, encourage energy independence through a comprehensive approach. And finally, carefully consider potential consequences. Now, some tax credit advocates may have wanted this report to be more explicit in its support for the tax credit programs, myself included. But their mere inclusion in the report is important. Co-chairman Heller and Bennett said that the working group's report included areas that they believed were, and I quote, significant in future tax reform efforts, end quote. We've posted a copy of the working group report for you at www.novaco.com slash hottopics. Click on Tax Reform and then on Legislative Action. It's entitled, The Community Development and Infrastructure Bipartisan Tax Working Group Report. I should note that a Senate Finance Committee for Tax Extenders markup could happen as early as next week. We're hearing the 22nd or 23rd. In preparation, Committee Chairman Orrin Hatch has asked his colleague to provide them with their legislative or tax wish list. As always, I'll have the latest updates for you on Twitter. You can follow me. My handle is at Novogratik. In affordable housing news, the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development last week announced a final rule on affirmatively furthering fair housing. The final rule clarifies existing fair housing obligations for HUD program participants to incorporate into their planning processes. This final rule responds to recommendations from a 2010 report from the Government Accountability Office, or GAO. It also responds to requests from stakeholders and HUD program participants who ask for clear guidance and more technical assistance. According to HUD, this final rule was intended to ensure that everyone across the country has the right to fair housing, regardless of race, color, nationality, religion, sex, disability, or familial status. To that end, HUD said it will provide open data to the public on patterns of integration and segregation, racially and ethnically concentrated areas of poverty, disproportionate housing needs, and disparities in access to opportunity. HUD's rule clarifies and simplifies existing fair housing obligations and creates a streamlined assessment of fair housing planning processes. This is meant to help communities analyze challenges to fair housing choice and establish their own goals and priorities to address the fair housing barriers in their community, according to HUD. HUD will provide publicly open data and mapping tools to help community members and local leaders set local fair housing priorities and goals. While the final rule will take effect 30 days after publication in the Federal Register, it will not be fully implemented immediately. The final rule provides for additional time for communities to adopt this process to set local fair housing priorities than originally proposed. This includes more time to submit the first 
assessment for housing for two groups, local jurisdictions receiving a community development block grant of 500000 or less, and qualified public housing authorities. Furthermore, grantees that recently submitted a regional analysis of impediments in connection with HUD's Sustainable Communities Competition also will have more time to submit their first assessment of fair housing. For details on that end and the rest of the final rule, visit www.hudresourcecenter.com. On the left-hand side, under Guidance, click on Other. It's entitled, HUD Rule on Affirmatively Furthering Fair Housing. And if you have any questions about the final rule, I encourage you to contact my colleague, Mark Shelburne. He can be reached at mark.shelburne at novaco.com or 919-889-2596. In related news, Novagrad will host a webinar next week that covers the implications of the U.S. Supreme Court's disparate impact ruling in Texas Department of Housing and Community Affairs versus the Inclusive Communities Project. This webinar will be hosted by Mark Shelburne, a senior manager at Novagrad Company. Mark will be joined by Michael Skojak and Amy Glassman of Ballard's Bar. They'll discuss how the court's decision will shape future cases, the application of HUD's disparate impact rule, and HUD's efforts to further fair housing. The webinar will be designed for all who work in the local housing tax credit community. It's called the Novogratic Consequences of Disparate Impact for Multifamily Housing webinar, and it'll be held next Wednesday, July 22nd, from 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. Eastern Time. To register, go to www.novaco.com slash events. In other news, I'd like to discuss a recent HUD study. The study was designed to examine how homeless families in emergency shelters responded to various types of assistance or interventions designed to help them exit homelessness. Here's how the study worked. Over an 18-month period, HUD looked at more than 2,200 homeless families in emergency shelters in 12 communities across the country. These families were randomly assigned to one of four interventions, including, one, permanent housing subsidy, which was usually a housing choice voucher. This could also include help finding housing, but no other supportive services. Two, community-based rapid rehousing, which provides temporary rental assistance that's potentially renewable for up to 18 months. This was then paired with limited housing-focused services to help families find and rent conventional private market housing. Three, project-based transitional housing, which provides temporary housing for up to 24 months in agency-controlled buildings or apartment units. This was then paired with intensive supportive services. And the fourth intervention was usual care, which is defined as any housing or services that a family accesses in the absence of immediate referral to the other interventions. Typically, this includes at least some additional stay in the emergency shelter in which families were enrolled. HUD measured outcomes for families in five domains, housing stability, family preservation, adult well-being, child well-being, and self-sufficiency. These results were then compared across the four interventions. The results? Families offered a housing voucher experienced significantly better outcomes than those families assigned to the other three options. Those families were less likely to re-enter homelessness or experience housing instability. When compared to families who elected to remain in emergency shelter, 
families offered a voucher also experienced a significant reduction in child separations from parents, adult psychological distress, domestic violence, and food insecurity. This according to HUD. HUD also found that the cost of the voucher were comparable to or substantially less than the other interventions over the course of the follow-up period. This study can be used as solid evidence for preserving and even expanding the funding of HUD's Housing Choice Voucher Program. To read this study, go to www.hudresourcecenter.com. It's called Family Options Study, Short-Term Impacts of Housing and Service Interventions for Homeless Families. In other news, nominations are open for the Novogratz Journal of Tax Credits Developments of Distinction Awards. Submit a nomination by September 17th to recognize excellence in the development of properties using the low-income housing tax credit and or tax credit developments using U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development financing. The awards will be presented January 7, 2016 at the Novogratz Tax Credit Developers Conference in Miami, Florida. Please visit www.novoco.com awards for more information and to submit a nomination. For our new markets tax credit discussion, I'd like to preview an interesting article that we have planned for the August issue of the Novogratz Journal of Tax Credits. Have you ever wondered how the CDFI Fund's bond guarantee program can be used with the new markets tax credit? Well, in the next month's issue of the Journal of Tax Credits, you can find out. Now, for background, through the CDFI Fund bond guarantee program, the Treasury Secretary provides a guarantee for bonds issued by a qualified issuer. In turn, a qualified issuer uses bond proceeds to make bond loans to eligible CDFIs for purposes such as affordable housing, businesses that provide jobs for low-income people or that are owned by low-income people, and other community development. In April, notice of guarantee availability was released that made up to $750 million in bond guarantee authority available. Issuer and guarantee applications were due in June, and while there are clear limitations on how the program can be used in connection with new market tax credits, there are some instances where the two programs can be used together. We'll examine those in the new market tax credit Q&A in the August issue of the Novogratz Journal of Tax Credits. The new market tax credit Q&A is a monthly feature authored by several of my partners who specialize in the new market tax credit program. Each month, they address specific questions about how to work with the program. And if you aren't already a subscriber to the magazine, I encourage you to sign up online at www.novico.com products. If you subscribe now, you'll be able to receive the August issue when it's published. In the meantime, you can learn more about the Bond Guarantee Program by going to www.newmarketscredits.com, and you can direct specific questions about how your organization can participate in the program to my partner, Diana Letzinger, in our Long Beach, California office. In historic tax credit news, I have state-level news out of Wisconsin, where the biennial budget does not, does not include a cap on the state historic tax credit. A $10 million annual credit cap was a provision that was previously proposed by Governor Scott Walker after a surge in demand for the credit during the past few years. The Wisconsin state credit has been extremely popular. In the past 18 months, there's been about $42 million in tax credits issued. Most of the credits are earmarked for developments in Milwaukee. That led Governor Walker's proposal to limit it. Opposition to Walker's proposed cap came from a coalition of developers and historic preservation organizations. Supporters of the program insisted 
that the state historic tax credit program actually creates economic activity that outweighs the cost of the credit. Historic preservation advocates applauded the Wisconsin Joint Finance Committee's decision to eliminate that cap two weeks ago in its approved version of the budget. Both the state Senate and state assembly narrowly approved the revised $73 billion plan, which Walker signed Sunday. And Walker announced his candidacy for president, as you probably know, on Monday. For more information on state and federal historic tax credits, contact my partner Tom Bosha in our Cleveland office. In renewable energy tax credit news, there's good information to report out of Iowa, where legislation expanded the state's solar energy tax credit cap. The law was signed in late June by Governor Terry Branstad. The legislation gives Iowa taxpayers a credit based on a percentage of the federal solar credit. Now, Iowa introduced its solar tax credit in 2012, and it's worth 30% of the federal credit with a $1.5 million cap. The credit moved to 60% of the federal credit in 2014, and the cap increased to $4.5 million. The new legislation reduces the credit from 60% to 50% of the federal credit beginning in 2016. But it also increases the cap from $4.5 million to $5 million effective immediately. The legislation also boosts the amount of power that can qualify for the 1.5 cent per kilowatt hour credit from 53 megawatts to 63 megawatts. This credit applies only to individual solar arrays with less than 1.5 megawatts capacity. The Iowa Legislative Services Agency estimates that the credit will cost the state about $1 million in tax revenue over the next seven years. The Energy Program Director of the Iowa Environmental Council said the demand for the credit has generally exceeded the cap, so this meets the needs to help continue growth. The Iowa bill is HF 645. To learn more about state and federal energy tax credits, visit www.energytaxcredits.com. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. I'll be at the second annual Coin Investment Summit this Thursday in Sacramento. I'm moderating a panel case study on coin tax credit investments. If you're in the area, I hope to see you there. In any case, I invite you to join me again next week for another Tax Credit Tuesday. This is Michael Novogratik. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik and Company, LLP. Archived discussions are available online at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. Novogratik and Company LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.